the Seattle Seahawks delivered on the tantalizing promise of their unexpected season, beating the Los Angeles Rams in overtime and sealing one of the most improbable playoff berths in recent NFL history. Jackson and Mike are here to talk about that, as well as round three against the 49ers. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Mike Barwin, and along with my sunburnt host, Jackson Bevins, this <laughs> is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Jackson, how are we doing today? <laughs> you ambushing motherfucker. <laughs> uh, you stole the intro. I am good. I am sunburned, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. A little bit chillier than you, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah. you know, the, C- the Seahawks are in the playoffs and you are on vacation, my friend. How are things? I mean, you just said it. I'm not sure how they get any better. You know, it's funny. I I was definitely not planning on going on vacation during week 18. Although before the season, that felt like pretty safe. But like as this trip progressed and for those listening, uh, my wife and I are taking a delayed anniversary vacation to Cabo, and uh, it's been delayed twice by COVID. So we originally booked this trip like two and a half years ago. So <laughs> the hotel was basically like, take it or leave it. You know, we're, we're not rescheduling you again. So we came down here, and I was thinking like, all right, you know, hopefully the Seahawks go out with a win. But the chances of both them beating the Rams, who have had their number, and the Lions beating the Packers, who have definitely had their number, uh, are pretty slim and those fuckers did it man nine and eight in the playoffs incredible it was incredible I'll, i i will tell you about my experience watching that game here but i'm curious where were you how was that how were you feeling as you were watching that game against the rams and then watching the game packers versus lions it was kind of a hectic day so i was watching at home but uh first off i just like to say that you know good on you for threading the needle and timing your trip to cabo same week as Aaron Rodgers. Really impressive. You know, the logistical work that had to go into that, I'm sure, was just overwhelming. So good on you. Good on Aaron. Yeah, he's, I'm happy that he's going to be staying in my room next week. Exactly. Yeah, you know, he got the ayahuasca ready to go. Things are things are looking up. Um, no, it was uh, it was kind of a weird day because the morning games, you know the games that had an impact on Seattle's draft pick. It was weird because the the day honestly started out really frustrating. I don't know if you caught the. Uh, the Colts Texans game, but I the did, first half, actually. the first half I was, you know, like trying to like tweet at the FBI to investigate Jeff Saturday, <laughs> like going on fourth and seven, you know, instead of kicking yeah. a field goal. And yes. then Davis Webb yes. comes through with a nice little pick six and it's like, okay, back in business. And then the Texans ended up converting a fourth and 12 and then uh, scoring the game, eventually the game winning along with a two point conversion uh, game winning touchdown. Uh, on fourth and twenty, when it just went right through a DB's hands, trying to intercept it instead of oh my god, I, I was could like, not, I, was, I could not I was believe that. Viscerally angry watching that, <laughs> and it was just like the the purest encapsulation of like the poison, like brain rot of like rooting for your pick in the draft to go up just a single slot. But that was that was annoying. And then like Baltimore lost to Cincinnati, so then the Chargers had nothing to play for. So it was what it was. But then it was really just. No matter how bad the Rams are, no matter how disgusting their record is, 
McVeigh is a demon. It's never no, easy. He is a demon. And they're going to lose this game because, of course, they're going to lose this game. But then they didn't lose this game. Gino essentially led two yep. game-winning drives on a day yep. where he was, for the most part, pretty to very bad. You know, like there were a yeah. lot of those moments you had talked about recently about his accumulation of turnover worthy throws and there were several of those in this game to first play of the game interception first play of the game Jalen Ramsey and so it was just like it was hell and then they ended up pulling it out and then afterwards it was kind of like you know I had made my peace with the Seahawks not making the playoffs Lambeau in January Jared Goff going in leading the Lions a fun team feel good story but can they pull it off Probably not, but they did. They did, and the Seahawks are in the playoffs, and so it was a lot of hooting and hollering going on, which is, I believe, uh, the exact verbiage that Pete Carroll used to describe him watching that game so good. also. But you and I have talked a lot about the difference, not just between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs, but like a winning record versus a losing record and what that means for a team that's building. You saw that exact same approach from the Detroit Lions, who – knew going into that game that they were drawing dead, right? Like, they had nothing to play for. So, like, they could have sat DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams and Amon Ross St. Brown and Jared Goff and Aiden Hutchinson and made sure that, you know, none of those guys blew an ACL or whatever. All week they talked about how much it was – how much it mattered to win that game and have a winning record. And I felt that way for Seattle because, you know – We've spent a lot of time over the last decade where a nine and eight season would be a disappointment. It's not a, a successful season unless you get to the NFC Championship game, and it's great to have those expectations and have a team that is worthy of them. But like, once that goes away, you get reminded just how goddamn hard it is to be at that level, to be a top eight team, to be a top four team in the NFL is really, really difficult. And for Seattle to just be able to throw their hat in the ring. Uh, during what was supposed to be a rebuild or a retool year is is really special. What was cool about this, though, is like even though I'm down here, fortunately the place I'm staying at like has a sports bar and they had all the games on. So I went and was watching, and you know, like down here, people are here from all over the world, all over the country. So you had fans of all different teams there. And I watched the game with a bunch of Lions fans who obviously were rooting against Seattle, right? Like they, their only hope making the playoffs was if the Rams won and the Seahawks lost. Uh, and and they were great. It was this group of four guys and and a couple of their wives, and they were awesome. And they like knew the shit out of their team. They knew about our team. Like they were rooting for the Rams. And then they had all like the DVOA know, numbers up in front of them. And they everything. they they really they really did. They were to a man. Keep Jared Goff. Don't draft a quarterback too. <laughs> like <laughs> it was awesome. So we had like a very similar conversation, you know, and uh, and it was so exciting. So they were like rooting against the Seahawks, but obviously they're like super good natured about it. You know, we all got each other drinks and like had a great time. And then I, like you, became the world's biggest Lions fan that night. And watching that game with them was so cool because it reminded me what it was like to be a Seahawks fan pre Mike Holmgren where you're just like, you're used to not mattering. You're used to no one giving a shit about your games. You don't have a bunch of players that move the needle. And you're just looking for some like hope and some respect. And one of these guys that I was watching the game with, he's like, he's from Grand Rapids. And he's like, there's this little podunk bar where I go to watch the games and they have a Detroit Lions mirror. And if the Lions have a winning season, 
it's right side up. If they have a losing season, it's upside down. And he goes, that has been upside down like my entire life. And he goes, it makes me so happy to know that they're flipping the mirror over tonight. <laughs> like even though they didn't make the playoffs, like they were so into it. And of course, 180 like, degrees of victory. My God. Right. And of course, I'm like buying rounds as soon as Jared Goff completes that fourth down. I like couldn't believe it. Like we were fucking going to the playoffs, you know. So it was it was a very cool uh, experience to watch the game. But to your point about the Texans game. Um, you know, that happened before the Seahawks game. So I, I showed up down there about like kind of mid third quarter of the morning games just to set up shop and get comfortable. And uh, I was watching with a Bears fan who was watching that game very, very intently uh, to make sure, you know, obviously wanting the Texans to win. And when they scored that touchdown in the two-point conversion, <laughs> it was like they just won a playoff game because it moved Chicago up into the number one spot. So anyway, it was very cool. If you ever get a chance to like watch meaningful NFL football in an international spot, I recommend it because you get people there cheering for every team. I lived in Hawaii for a couple of years, a long time ago. And I'll go down to round table pizza every morning to watch NFL, different games, on all the different TVs with different booths. You sit down and watch the Seahawks and whoever they were playing, there are fans of that team in Waikiki that day, you know, that week. And so, like, it was just super fun because I'm used to watching with Seahawks fans. I got a few few buddies who are Niners fans, but, like, that was an awesome watching experience. And for them to thread that needle of beating the Rams, which I give them, like, a 55% chance of doing and then the Lions beating the Packers, and I put that at like 40%, and I thought that was being generous. So I did the math, and it ended up being 22% chance of what happening happening. And I stayed on the beach till 1.30 in the morning writing the article. Like, it was such a cool day. Yeah, I mean, that, that Rams game, you said it was about, you know, 55%. I think that's right on, you know? Like, they didn't have Cup, they didn't have Donald, they didn't have Stafford, but it was never going to be easy. It's never easy against those guys. And it's the first time that the Seahawks have swept the Rams in a season since 2013, which no is shit. wild is right? and just a great uh, illustration of how much of a specific type of hell it is to play against that franchise. Well, and here's the thing, Seattle swept them this year and it took a last, like an actual last play of the game touchdown and an overtime field goal to beat them. Like, McVeigh gets his guys up and, and, you know, after, first of all, like if we're going to zero on on this game, we need to give credit to the off malign Seahawks defense because they kicked real ass in this game. And then to zoom back out a little bit, think about it. Like since the chiefs game, it's honestly, since the Niners game, this defense has been pretty good. They gave up three big plays to the 49ers that they got pretty much all their points on. Other than that, they were rock solid in that game. They held the Chiefs to fewer points than any team in three months the following week. They didn't score any points, so they lost. Whatever. And then in the final two weeks of the season, they gave up one touchdown. Like, this defense has been playing really, really well. And and they, you know, for as much shit as they've taken, and, and rightfully so for most of the season, the final month was, was pretty good. But when Tutu Outwell scored that, touchdown on the jet sweep to make it 13 to six all the seattle beat reporters were like the vibe here is really weird in the stadium (laughs) like it was like yeah we're all fucking nervous i mean i thought i thought at that point i thought there was like no way i mean it's just yeah it's it's so easy to live in the moment with this offense especially when they've been 
hot and cold on and off. And it felt in that moment against that team that the Seahawks were never going to get a first down again, <laughs> let alone G- score a Gino touchdown. had like, yeah, Gino had like 29 yards passing on 13 attempts in the first half. Like it was, it was bad news. And then they scored that touchdown. And it was like, it was like watching the Mariners in 2009 or something. You're like, oh, we're down two to nothing. This game's over. We're not yep. gonna score points. And that's how it felt like in that game. But then they go down. Uh all of a sudden DK Metcalf, who who let's be honest, like he's my favorite player in the NFL, really scuffled into the end of the season. He had one catch for three yards last week. He had no catches in the first half this week, but he had two catches on that drive that led to the Tyler Lockett touchdown. All of a sudden, it's 13-13. Game goes from there. Like it was so cool to tap back into that feeling that we got so used to kind of 2012 through 2016, honestly, really through 2018, where you're just like, fuck, this team could make a run in the playoffs every year and you're living and dying with every outcome. To be right back in that again, it was cool. It was. And it was was also another one of those moments where when it feels like nothing's going right for the team or the offense – and Gino's like, oh, just kidding. We're gonna get, a, we're gonna touch pay dirt here, you know, because the Rams scored that touchdown right before halftime. Then the, you know, there was what like thirty seconds left on the clock or whatever. Um, so there were like a couple little drives, and then the Rams got the ball to start the I half know. again. And yep. uh, I think they got one first down, but they netted nine yards on that drive. Then the Seahawks got the ball and they marched eighty-eight yards in five plays with that just absolute dime to lock it for the touchdown. It's just every time it looks like they're never gonna uh, move the ball forward ever again. Gino just <laughs> turns into a superhero and uh, reminds you, like, oh yeah, I'm a Pro Bowler. I know, I know. Yeah, it 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 really is crazy. Uh, you know, Ken Walker had a great game as well. They really leaned on him. I mean, they gave him 29 carries in that game, which is a really crazy thing to do for a 21-year-old is, you know, say, hey, you're going to go get tackled 30 times by NFL players. And he held up. He had a great game because they weren't moving the ball through the air uh, for most of this game. And really outside of that drive, outside of that touchdown drive that you just described, and then, I mean, Gino, let's be real, led two game-winning drives in that game. Both of those. But, like, their other nine drives in the game – they kind of look like ass. And the fact that like Ken Walker and the offensive line were doing such a good job in the run game is what kept it close. Because if Seattle had given up another score, like they they held the Rams to 16 points. And that might not seem like a lot, but in 2015, the Seattle Seahawks led the NFL in points allowed at 16.6. So if you allow 16 points, like that's in a pretty elite performance. And that's coming after they only gave up six last week. It's like these guys showed up, no Jordan Brooks, and they the defense really balled out in this one. And they gave up thirteen in the first half, right? Like they it was yeah. backs against the wall, season on the line. You better, you know, shore this shit up. And they did. They gave up three points in the third quarter and none in the fourth or OT. And shouts to Quandre Diggs, who has taken the mantle of defensive team captain, making what Pete Carroll called a hero play, and then immediately Uh taunting the former defensive team captain of the franchise, Bobby (laughs) Wagner, who just happened to be standing right there. And that was like that that moment where it was like, oh my God, like he had room to potentially return that, but taunting Bobby, like, was made it like for sure that his momentum <laughs> yeah. carried him out of bounds. And it was like, if they, if they end up losing because of this, but nope, 
they drove right down the field and Jason Myers redeemed himself. It would be so funny if like the consensus all pro kicker um, ended up missing a field goal to lose the, lose the chance at a postseason berth for them, but ended up uh, writing his wrong in OT. I feel like our show generally tends to be pretty on point, but one of the things that we've missed, one of our blind spots in the show has not been giving flowers to Jason Myers, who has had one of the best kicking seasons in the last number of seasons league-wide. He is he was the best kicker in the NFL this year. And he is a deserving pro bowler. He actually ended up leading the NFL in points scored this year, which is crazy. Nobody in the entire NFL accounted for more points than Jason Myers, who was down two for the league lead until he kicked the game winner. And so shouts like, to the Seahawks to point, lackluster red zone efficiency. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so like to your point, I felt so confident in his kick at the end of regulation. Obviously, odds just go down in that situation. We we all like to think that you can be immune from the pressure or I don't blame him for pushing that one. Jalen Ramsey was tearing off the left he was. edge. Yes, like he was. Flying. And Jalen Ramsey Jalen Ramsey played his ass off in this game. He had two picks. He had an insane tackle of Ken Walker that turned a touchdown drive into a field goal drive late in the game. Like he was amazing. And he also got boned on that in uh unnecessary roughness call against Geno on the game tying drive. Or was that the game winning drive? No, that was the drive that uh, Myers missed the field goal. So that would have okay, set yeah, up yeah, yeah. so that would have right, set right. up no, the game right. winning field goal in regulation, but then he came flying off off the edge and then Myers pushed it right. So Right. And he, he almost played his draw back in, but like I, and, and you could see Myers was like distraught on the sidelines and you feel for the guy because let's be real. He was the best at his position of any Seahawk in the NFL, you know, like on, on the roster, right. Relative to all the other guys who do what he does, he was the best. And for him to miss that, it, it would have left such a sour mark on what was a really amazing season. So I was really happy to see that he got to win it, right? Like, because you you need, I mean, it could be a monsoon against the 49ers coming up. It might come down to a field goal again, and you want those positive vibes. And so, like... Redemption arcs like that often don't come within the same game. No, 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 not at all. And And he didn't make a sweat on that winner. He put it right down the middle. Like, it was like, you know, that first kick didn't even exist. And let's not, you know let's not pretend like he totally choked on the game winner. Like he hit the upright, you know, he, he missed winning it the first time by like eight inches. So, uh, you know, super, super appreciative of Jason Myers role and how successful the season was. Yeah. And let's be real here. A 19 to 16 OT win is the only possible way that the Seahawks were going to win that game. Like it was going to be the most disgusting game that you've ever seen in your life. Uh, I can't remember which one of us texted each other with Myers missed the game winner at the end of regulation but one of us texted it had to be this way (laughs) it really did it had to be it It has been written (laughs) there was there wasn't going to be like win or lose there wasn't going to be anything clean about this one nope nope and uh if the seahawks are going to pull off the upset win on saturday in santa clara it's going to have to get a little uh, messy as well. You know, they're going to have to muck things up for Brock Purdy and the 49ers offense. So, mm-hmm. how are you how are you feeling heading into the wild card round? I uh, I mean, gambling with house money for sure. 
Yes. Seattle's not supposed to be in the playoffs. I think the 49ers have been the best team in the NFL for the last three months. Um, they're coming in on a 10-game win streak where their Mr. Irrelevant quarterback gets thrust into a situation where you're thinking, oh, things were just starting to look good. Now the season's derailed. All he's done is gone 6-0. and He's been the highest-rated passer in the NFL during that time. He has 13 touchdowns to one interception. The 49ers have gone from averaging 18 points a game before he was the starter to averaging 33, which is tops in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, he has been statistically, I'm just saying statistically, he's been Patrick Mahomes at the head of the roster that was already the best roster in the NFL. So how am I feeling? If if Seattle is competitive in this game in the fourth quarter, like what, what an incredible performance that they would have put on to make that happen. The 49ers, I think, are the best team in the NFL right now. And we've talked about this on this podcast. The the two times after Seattle's played, the two weeks leading up to them playing the 49ers, we've talked about this is the best defense in the NFL. They've got one of the best play calling schemes in the NFL. We've got all pros everywhere. That being said, like it's really, really hard for one team to win three games against one other team in the same season. And you see this happen fairly frequently. Most NFL seasons We'll have two teams that play each other three times, twice in the regular season because they're in the same division, and they get matched against each other in the playoffs somehow. And I don't have it in front of me, but the winning percent, like when it's 2-0 and oh, one way or the other, the team that's lost the two games actually has a higher winning percentage in that third game. So like, it's just it just speaks to something that's kind of canon with this show, talking about how the difference between good teams and bad teams is not that big. And it's really hard to beat a team three times in a row because this is a game of adjustments. So I would I would give Seattle like a solid 30 to 35% chance of winning this game. Maybe more if the weather's going to be as bad as it looks like it might be. Yep. I mean, the, the first couple of games, right, like that they played the 49ers, we've talked this whole season about so much of Seattle's offense is predicated on staying on schedule, right? Geno... If you're not going to be as explosive in the passing game, you got to make sure that on first and second down that you're efficient. You're getting those like five, six yard gains at least, you know, putting yourself in second and short, third and shorts if you're even reaching third down at all. And we've talked about how the 49ers front seven is terrifying. You know, they've got the defensive player of the year probably in Nick Bosa, and they've just got a bunch of other brutes on the D-line. They can just rush four and drop seven into coverage and not even break a sweat. They've got the best linebacker in the NFL, arguably in Fred Warner, and then the others are absolutely um, solid, robust as well in Dre Greenlaw. Um, But it's nice to see that the Seahawks have been able to run the ball a little bit more. Ken Walker's healthy again. The offensive line getting a little bit more push. And you saw that in the Rams game, right? The first couple of drives, they were able to run the ball and they they couldn't parlay that into touchdowns, but they scored six points right off the bat, I think, on like their uh, not counting the interception on the first play of the game, their first couple of drives. And then everything just went cold when they couldn't, when they couldn't run the ball or they couldn't move it at all. And then late in the game, they just started to be that, you know, multiple ground air attack. And it's just, you know, there's something to be said for it's weird to call Gino the veteran, uh, the wily veteran presence at quarterback in this game, but you're going to have a rookie quarterback making his what seventh career start or sixth career start in a playoff game, likely in a, a downpour. So 
anything can happen. You saw in 2020 when the Seahawks won the division over that week 16, I believe, win over the Rams that came right down to the yep. wire and they ended up playing them yep. at home in the wild card round. And they were they started John Wolford and then they ended up bringing in Jared Goff, who I think he had like a hand issue on his on his throwing hand and right. you know rust through that pick six on the dk on that screen and everything just snowballed from there and you know things can turn very quickly in postseason football so i'm totally with you the niners are clearly the better roster the overall better team but uh chaos reigns supreme in january so it, let's uh, well, let's see what happens well it does and and, you know, it's like, yes, any given Sunday and all of that. And and that really – Any given is, Saturday, Jackson. Yes, right. This week, any given Saturday. But, you know, and, and it's one of the better idioms in sports because it is so true in the NFL. We see it literally every week. that some team that has got no hope on paper of winning ends up winning because everybody in the NFL is really good at football. We say this all the time. The thing is – to pull off the type of upset that Seattle will need to do on Saturday, you actually have to have great players, right? Because other than that, you're you're counting on there being this sequence of, you know, not great players having the games of their life all at one time. And it's just not going to happen. But Seattle has, like, some legitimately great players. I think DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett at their best are top – like, their best game – is a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. We've seen Geno be literally, I, I mean, it sounds so crazy to say it, but even with his finish of the season, he's been a literal top six quarterback in the NFL this season. Tariq Woolen and Uchenna Nwosu, lately Daryl Taylor, like these are all players who have had games that really swing the outcome. Like their one performance really swings the outcome. Ken Walker has had those games. And so can, we, can I jump in quickly and course. just say that I think that I think you and I were chatting about this on Sunday, but I think you and I and a lot of people would agree that Daryl Taylor has had an objectively disappointing season. And he ended up with nine and a half sacks <laughs> you to share the that. lead for the team. You texted with me that Sunday night and I was like, no, no, that's not right. Yeah. I don't remember yeah. his name being called nine and a half times this season. And then I looked at it and I was like, this motherfucker had nine and a half sacks in a Bad I think season. his first three were all strip sacks or something like that. Yeah. Like it was, he was yeah. right behind Kobe Bryant and they were just forcing fumbles out the ass. But yeah, man, the, you have to have your players step up and you had also mentioned, you know, DK a little cold over the last few weeks. These are the sorts of games where your best players need to make big time plays. And if it's rainy, not going to be able to move the ball well through the air. They're going to have, they're like two to three plays that your superstars have to make each, you know? And DK is going to have to make those plays. I have faith that Tyler Lockett can make those plays. Can Gino make those plays? I mean, this is the first playoff game that Gino's ever started also. I, that's an excellent point. And, like, honestly, I don't think Seattle's going to be able to get away with not being really, really excellent in this game. This isn't going to be Mike White missing wide open receivers uh, in that win over the Jets. This isn't going to be a, a Rams team that is like league average at best at any given position on offense, which is where they're at right now. They're going to have to be excellent. They're not likely to win this game unless it is the monsoon that they're saying might might happen. This isn't going to be a 19 to 16 game. And the thing that concerns me the most, and I understand this player has his detractors. I'm a Jordan Brooks guy. 
I understand he's a bit of a compiler. He gets a lot of tackles without a lot of sacks or tackles for loss or, or turnovers, whatever. I think he's a good player. He is so important against a Kyle Shanahan offense. Shanahan designs an offense to put linebackers in hell. Like that is that is his whole thing. Like D-line's going to do what they're going to do. Secondary's going to do what they're going to do. But those guys in the middle, I am going to make their lives miserable. And Jordan Brooks is so much better than every other Seahawks linebacker. And he has still struggled against the 49ers offense. It's it's going to be tough for there not to be four plays of 40 yards or more, I think, by the 49ers in this game. That's the that's the the puzzle that you have to solve, right? How can you do the same to the best defense in the NFL? Well, and that's and that's just it. It's like the 49ers are going to get their points. They're going to score. And Seattle's going to have to – I mean, I think they're going to have to score 27 points to win this game. And I think the only team that's done that oddly enough, is in the last 10 games. Jared's the Jared the Raiders. Raiders. The Raiders. <laughs> Which were without Josh Jacobs for half the game. Like, that was crazy. So, like, on one hand, it's like, okay, it's very unlikely. But that game was also a reminder, like, it could happen. Like, the Raiders very well could have won that game. Um, and I think the Seattle offense is better than the Raiders offense with Jared Stidham. So, it's possible. Um the challenge with a third game in the same season is there are no surprises left. Neither of these coaches are like, hey, we might play them a third time in, in the playoffs, so we're not going to show them this look on defense or we're not going to run this play on offense. Like the, the bag of tricks has been emptied. And, you know, these coaches know each other. They know each other so well from the last five years of playing each other twice every week. So... Advantage 49ers, I think, in a pretty big way. But I would be surprised if Seattle wins. I will not be shocked. I really won't be. Yeah, I mean, this is the classic Pete Carroll, like, huge game against a team that they have no business even sticking around with. That's right. But there, there is something to be said for playing with house money, you know? Like, there's absolutely nothing for the Seahawks to lose right now. No. You know that, you know, that's not the way that Pete's going to present it to the team or the public, but they're, they don't really have any business hanging around in this game. So of course they will. Of course so they play will. relaxed. Of course play they will. Your game. It's, it's, it's going to be a one score game just because of course it will. Be. Well, I've never, I've never seen a Seahawks quarterback in my life as loose and free as Geno Smith is this week. Like, his press conference today was hilarious. He was asked about his false start when he was lined up out a wide receiver against Jalen Ramsey. And he's like, Ramsey got off easy. I was about to sauce him up. That's the matchup we were looking for. <laughs> it was like Tom Brady yeah. out on Tariq and just like... Exactly. And then he called Tyler Lockett a pretty good receiver for a real estate agent. Like these guys, these guys are loose. They're having fun. They understand that – I guess what I would say is, like, we understand they're not supposed to be there, but there's no room within that team for thinking that way. You know, like, yep. every person to a man has been like, yes, this was our expectation all along that we were going to make the playoffs, but this isn't good enough. You know, this is this is not manufactured. These guys have really believed it. And I remember when we had Michael Sean Dugar on early in the season. He was talking about, like – yeah, you know, everybody's asking these questions about different expectations. And, and he was like, it was so legit that in that building, they felt like they could be a playoff team. 
And all year it seemed improbable, and here we are, heading into the 19th week of the NFL season, and the Seahawks are still in it. It's it's really a remarkable thing. It's also beautiful that they bookended their season by beating Russell Wilson and then beating Bobby Wagner Unreal, in right? Seattle. I, like you, you can't you can't have scripted it any better. Both in Seattle too, like really an amazing thing. <laughs> you know, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. Because I was driving and I was listening to 710 ESPN and they were playing, I think it was uh, Stacey Rost and Michael Bumpus, their show, and they were playing (laughs) the the audio of Pete Carroll being asked about the crowd's reaction to Russell Wilson before week one and then asked about the crowd's reaction to Bobby Wagner before week 18. (laughs) And it was so funny because I'm sure the people listening – no, and I know you remember going into the Broncos game, Pete Carroll was asked about the crowd potentially booing Russell Wilson or how they'd respond. He's like, you know, I'm just going to follow the crowd's lead on this, however they want to handle it. You know, it was basically all but saying, like, boo this man. And then talking about Bobby Wagner, it was just, like, effusive in his praise about what a wonderful person he is and how great it is to have him back and all of that stuff. I was like... You know, one of the things Pete Carroll is really good at is telling you exactly how he's feeling without putting anything in print that you can hold against him. I just find it a bit poetic that Bobby Wagner, Seahawks' second-round pick in 2012, makes it back and the Seahawks beat them in the final week of the season. Russell Wilson, the Seahawks' third-round pick in that draft, comes back week one, the Seahawks beat him. The first pick in that draft. Yes, sir. Bruce Irvin <laughs> was is there. the last player left on the team from that draft. And he had two sacks in what may and will probably be his last game as a Seahawk in Seattle. You know, honestly, if I could redo the article from Sunday, I would have spent more time on Bruce Irvin. And, and just how important it is for a team that's this young that like keep in mind these players that are getting drafted these last few years they've known the Seahawks to be a good team for you and I and people older than us that's that's not like the baseline feeling that we have about the Seahawks is that like oh they're a good team but like over the last 10 years I think there's only three other teams that have won more games in the regular season no, they have been a premier franchise they, they absolutely the have been. plus so like these players that they're drafting they feel like they're going to a winning organization, you know, and to have someone like Bruce Irvin, who is a part of that original uh, ascent, being there and being like, hey, this is how this works. And then to go out, obviously have a game like that is great. You know, I I would love to see more Boye, Mafe, um, I think. Who flashed, who absolutely flashed on Sunday. had a sack as well, absolutely. But like the fact that Bruce Irvin is even in that locker room and out there getting reps saying like, I might not have the spring that I had that made me a first round pick, but I like I've been in this league for 12 years now here. Here are the tricks. I would not be surprised if the fact that Daryl Taylor has had three and a half sacks in the last two games is not related to Bruce Irvin being there and not because Bruce Irvin is like picking up a double team every week. I like he's that cagey vet. There's nothing he hasn't seen. There's nothing he hasn't practiced. There's nothing he hasn't tried out. And then you add that knowledge to someone who 
is as explosive as Daryl Taylor, like it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Bruce Irvin has had a big impact on the kind of late season resurgence that Taylor had. And last thing before we wrap this thing up, good for Pete Carroll, man. Oh, Just think about where you were at mentally on the Pete front before this season, yep. where the team is now, the vibes surrounding the team, especially over the last couple of weeks. And it, it just it doesn't really feel sour now. It, it feels like they're on the ascent, and Pete is peating at the peak of his Pete yeah. abilities. Yes. And oh man, they got it. They got they're going to the playoffs, and they have a top five pick. So that really says it all. No, it's it's really incredible, and like I feel like the whole season of this show is me just being just taking a Pete Carroll apology tour. Because <laughs> like you know, and and like I don't want to oversell. It's not like I was super hard on him. I mean, we did we did the rank Pete Carroll game, and I had him like thirteenth or fourteenth. Like I didn't think he was terrible. I just felt like there were better options out there. He was absolutely the right man for this job. He he has earned my full support moving forward after this season. Like what he did was really incredible. I I think there is a really reasonable case to be made for coach of the year for Pete Carroll. Um, he he deserves all of the accolades and appreciation for his is this his thirteenth year in in the NFL uh, with Seattle right thirteenth uh, year with Seattle they've never missed the playoffs in back to back years that's really crazy when less than half the teams make it to you know you got about forty percent of the teams making it every year Pete Carroll has not been on the wrong side of that coin more than one year in a row ever. He's made the playoffs 10 out of 13 seasons. That's incredible. So uh, you're absolutely right. I'm so glad you pointed that out. All right, friends, that will do it for today. Mammoth game ahead. And I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about afterwards. But for now, you can find Mike and I on social media. I am on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name. Mike is at, at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at, at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Despite being on the air for just over a year, we've already gotten nearly 200 five-star ratings between the two platforms, and that is not something Mike and I take for granted. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know you've only got so much time for audiobooks, music, and podcasts. It's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Yeah.